Club members, I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 91, and our book is Witchbringer by Stephen Stephen Fisher. Couldn't remember if it was Steve or Stephen for a second there. The book is about a Cadian psyker who returns to her regiment after discovering she, in fact, does have psychic powers and isn't just incredibly lucky. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via YouTube, our site, Twitter, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read this book, definitely check it out before listening to this podcast as we'll be discussing the book from start to finish in great detail. Let's dive in. As always, Carrie, did you like the book? I did. I had fun. I really enjoyed this book, but I don't mind telling you guys that when I closed the book, my first thought was, that's better than like the last two horror, but that's a better horror novel than the last two horror books we read. What were the last two horror books we read? Um, The Bookkeeper's Skull okay. and that other one. I can't think of the name of it right now. So is that good? Yeah, that good. Um, but my point being that I'm like, this isn't even in the horror line, and this is a more effective horror story. Those trees. That's not cool, man. Yeah. That's not like, cool. That's like getting really close to the shining. Not cool. <laughs> um, yes. And no, it made the hedge animals the look tail. <laughs> Tame. Hmm. Yes. No, it, it, for people who haven't read the book, if you've only ever seen the movie of The Shining, I highly recommend the book because it's so good. Uh, but it will give you a newfound hatred of hedge animals. Um, and yes, I actually had some similar... <laughs> it's kind of a propo because The Shining. Anyways. Um, so many parallels now that just then I feel kind of stupid that I didn't even put like all of those connections together. But when I was reading about the trees, I was that was the same thought I had. I was like, these are like way more aggressive than the hedge animals yeah at least they only attacked that one little kid <laughs> you're not a I psycho mean, you're fine no they attack no. everybody they don't care yeah these don't care they uh they just kind of eat you like i am actually very fascinated by carnivorous plants in general like it's one of the reasons that i always say that figs are my favorite fruit is because they're metal um but like Venus flytraps and stuff, I'm very fascinated by carnivorous plants. But part of it is I'm like, that is a horrible way to go. So it's like really for flies funny. and stuff, like it's horrible. What's really funny is um, the last Horus Heresy book I read, Damnation of Pythos, had carnivorous plants. Basically, these plants weren't supposed to be, but because of the warp, warp fuckery, right? Hmm. Uh, things were not right. So like, Probably the only part that was funny in that book was that they got attacked by these beasts and the Raven Guard guy was like, but they're not carnivorous. Look at them. They're supposed to be herbivores. Like they can't move very fast. And they're like, what does it matter? They're killing us. He's like, but seriously, they should be herbivores. When they finally killed them all, they realized like, what's happening to the blood? And they're watching it reseed up the hill as the moss was absorbing it and then was coming after them. Like, that's not cool. So it's kind of funny. I just oh, finished reading that and then I'm reading this and it's like, what is this? <laughs> it's just like, it, it was killer plant week. Did you guys have you like, know, like how there's shark week? Right. <laughs> there you go. It's killer killer plant week. Honestly, I think killer plants might be scarier than sharks because at least sharks, you know that they're dangerous. 
plants. Right. Like you don't, you wouldn't see a tiger shark and be like, oh, fuzzy. Yeah. Like you don't think anything of a tree. No. No, not at all. And like one of the initial scenes when like she falls into the water and she talks about like a tendril coming out and grabbing her wrist. I was like, no, thank you. No. Unsubscribe. <laughs> I got like really, <laughs> really happy when she started setting fire to stuff like that. I was like, yes, burn it. Uh, that's the only way to deal with just, you know, I mean, that's what uh, the, the salamanders did. <laughs> With this group on donation of pythos, it's all they're good for, right? The flamer. Get the flamer. The heavy flamer. Oh, and there were some heavy flamers in this. <laughs> there were, actually. Um, which I thought it was a nice mood setting. And so I'm I'm from Colorado. We get mist and fog very rarely. So, like, actually, um, yesterday we had the snowstorm that came through. And I all of a sudden I looked out my window and we were in Silent Hill. Uh, and I played a lot of Silent Hill games back when they were a thing in the early aughts. Um, I don't like fog or mist. Like the whole concept of it is a no on me. Um, I, it's just not natural. Um, so this book, like having these carnivorous plants and this just oppressive fog and mist everywhere. And also living in a dry climate. The concept of being like in mist all the time. This book hit a lot of my deeply uncomfortable where I was just like reading it going, no. So where I am in Texas, we don't get, we do get some fog, mm -hmm. uh, not a lot, but I have been walking around. There's a lake near where I live and I'll walk around it um, in the morning sometimes. And one morning a fog did set over the lake and it's very easy for it to get misty and stuff over the lake. And it did get so thick. I could only see a few feet in front of me. So I had to basically look down at my feet so I could make sure I was on the concrete and not walking towards the lake, walking towards the street, you know, things like that. And it didn't last very long, like maybe 15 minutes. And that was terrifying. It is a, I, I think, I think it hits something in that lizard part of your brain. It is deeply unsettling when you're in it. Like, I know that people from like New England are probably like... <laughs> Or Seattle. We don't we don't get it a lot here. Um, it generally only when a storm is coming through, and it yeah. So this this book hit a lot of my. I don't like this. I just I hate the idea. Like they talk about them marching through basically what is a swamp or a bog. Um, I couldn't. Okay, so I'm reading it. It's not like I'm reading my book in the bathtub or anything, but I felt wet the whole time. Like I couldn't get dry. Like. Right. Mentally was like, you know, kind of like when I was reading Kazarkin, I was so thirsty the whole time. I was drinking right. water the entire time. This, like, I just felt wet. Like the whole idea of just being damp and sleeping in your clothes on the ground and you wake up still damp. That's why I hate camping, y'all. All right. I've been camping a couple times and you, do, you, you wake up wet. You have this wet feeling on you. But to have that constantly because of the mist and everything, just no. No, 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 no. All I... All I could think of, and you understand this now because you've come to some of my doctor, my daughter's hockey, hockey games. My daughter plays hockey. Um, there is no funk like hockey funk. There just isn't because the gear is constantly wet and then it freezes and then it gets wet and it melts and then it freezes and it gets wet and it sweats and bleh. It, it has a smell to its own. She's not and lying that's all I could Like seriously, like I thought she might have been over exaggerating until I think it was like the day three of a tournament. 
because now the girls are really on the uniforms are really unwashed and uh it was the boys actually walked by and i went oh my god like i was about to gag on the smell and jen was just oh, like the girls jen was like oh yeah <laughs> it's a first thing. time <laughs> first yeah, first time exactly but that's like the whole time i was like, again as i said this book made me deeply uncomfortable like on a lot of levels and that was the thing i was like i can smell these people it smells like my daughter's hockey bag the whole time so i know we've talked a lot about like the atmosphere and stuff any other like parts that really stood out to you um you know a lot what really stood out to me is actually you know her um thought process on you know how she was a soldier going from a soldier to a psyker and like one quote that I did write down that just like it just kind of struck a chord with me because it makes me ask these questions why and a bit but like but she was she says very early on in the book she said the mind might be strong but it dwelt in terribly fragile vessels and it's just like and talked about how you know she was muscular and strong and how she's become this wafy thing who looks much older than she is and part of me is like okay so why is that is it partly because you're in trances all the time and therefore aren't using your muscles or is it that it's really burning out everything in your body because if it's the latter that sucks man i don't care how powerful <laughs> you are that sucks right that Yes, I loved I loved all of that concept of like just how much she's kind of not emaciated, but bordering on emaciated. And um, just that idea that, yeah, like these psychers in general, they're they're like light bulbs. They burn really bright and then they just fizzle. They don't have longevity on their side. Um, it just it makes and the whole I, thing super cruel. So she think about the black ships, you know, and about, you know, that, oh, lucky her, she wasn't one of those thousand picked, right, to feed the emperor. She gets to go out and has to have um, a leash, basically, embedded into her skull. Mm-hmm. She's not allowed to go anywhere well, and one of the other things orders and has to be under right. constant with the Scala. And the Scala sounded wonderful place to hang out. Oh, it sounded lovely. The guards um, were just so kind and nurturing uh, and understanding. And you and you understand, right? Because they have been taught since birth that the war and, and look, we one of our favorite quotes from that Dragon Age uh, presentation we went to years ago was when they said that magic is dangerous and people are flawed. And that's the warp in a nutshell, right? Mm -hmm. The warp is dangerous and people are flawed. And like how many stories have we read where like a sanctioned psyker or a um, navigator or a, um, why can't I think of the other guys right now? The astropath? Astropaths. Thank you. Like they're fine. They're fine. And then they're not. They're just not. Like I, I think back to um, Knights of McCrag when they have to go and find the navigator who up until that point had been fine. Like, it is, they are toying with such, and I, the part that stood out the most to me, and I know this happens like in the first 20 pages, but I was like, whoa, it's when she's talking with the headmaster of the Scala and he's like, yeah, you know, some people think that we have like a special untainted part of the warp to do our powers and no, it's all the same stuff. 
Like we are all sifting through the Mississippi River waters trying to find something usable. And that right there, I was like, oh, man. Like, this is why it's so dangerous. And when she even talks about how sometimes she would reach out into the warp and she's like, no, I'm going to stop myself. But there is something I'm curious. Like, and people are curious, especially and especially a psyker, right? Like, we talk about this all the time with Magnus and his sons. Like, well, it's dangerous. Yeah, but I seem fine with it. I'm like, oh, this is fine. It's fine. See, there's um, another parallel is that Damnation of Pythos uh, featured an astropath mm-hmm. who was very big on knowing how to cut herself off from the warp. Like, her big thing was as soon as she felt like she needed to be in it or she wanted to be in it, she stopped herself. Like she even talked about how she like ingrained in her psyche. She planted this basically hypnotic thing that if she ever got to a certain point, she immediately unplugged. Right. So it's kind of, again, just really weird, like how these books are kind of lining up for me because it's not the first time that this has happened. But but yeah, so, so there is just that whole thing of like, you know, like like magic is dangerous and, and people are flawed. And, you know, it we see that a lot in, in Dragon Age especially in Inquisition, when, we, when you deal with a Tevinter Magister or, or Tevinter Mage, and he's, you know, talking about how it's like, you guys are far too limiting. And then you have that one mage in your group who's just like, we're not limiting enough. So, it's, right. yeah, it's it's a very interesting uh, dichotomy, especially with because, mm-hmm. like, they, they need these sanctioned psychers, but they don't trust them at the same time. It's, it's a horrible existence to be a psyker of any kind if you're a navigator, an astropath, or a sanctioned psyker. I mean, the only psychers that might get any respect are the, Inqui- are the Inquisition. And, oh boy, they're a fun bunch. Right. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a mixed bag right there, even. Um, and this kind of dovetails nicely into the other question, because I feel as though this book spent a lot of time really unpacking how sanctioned psychers work mm-hmm. like and i think one of the ideas that i really liked because initially early on in the book when she talks about reaching out for the astronomicon and listening to the astropathic choir i was like you're not a navigator and then it dawned on me that similar to your astropath like that's her anchoring mm-hmm. right it's like okay i'm about to i'm about to go into this horrible place literal hell the warp um but I will ground myself and I will have something that can pull me back out, something to keep me focused. Like, I loved that whole idea that you need to know where the Astronomicon is because you're going into darkness here. <laughs> like, and I liked how scared she kind of got when she was like, I can't hear the astropathic choir right now. Mm-hmm. That was, that was particularly interesting to me. Well, like that, but like, you know, how the bridal worked. And really what its purpose was, that it wasn't just to keep her under control. That's one part, but it actually is there to kind of absorb psychic energy. It's like um, a little psychic energy detector and it protects people around her because it absorbs some of the attacks so that she has time to protect everybody. So it's kind of interesting how it's this give and take thing. But at the same time, like, yeah, well, what's powering it, right? You know, kind of like the uh, headmaster of that Scala. Yes, what's powering your chair? That's horrible, by the way. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I always say that I like about the uh, the Warhammer 40k universe is that like it, it's that meme, right, with T'Challa when <laughs> War Machine bows and he's like, "We don't do that here." Right. So when people are like, you know, well, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? We don't do that in Warhammer 40K. Like everybody's very gray. Is the Imperium and a careless fascist regime that chews its people up like a meat grinder? Oh, my God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, is that marginally better than chaos? Like, I mean, yeah. yeah. Depends on your argument. Um, well, I'll put it this way. We can't guarantee on the Imperial side that when you die, you go to the Emperor's side, right? We can't guarantee that. But we know for a fact what happens to you when you die on the Chaos side, right? So I think I'd oh, rather yeah. take the unknown versus <laughs> no. You're right. Then question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I really liked about this book was that nobody really was what they seemed. So like no. the and the thing like, is like you was... made so many assumptions and then you were you... like. You probably did this too, where you're like, oh, I know this. Like, I know this. It's so obvious. And you're so disappointed and that it wasn't that. So I was like relieved. Then I was like, I did not see that coming. Yeah. Like a good example is with um, when she confronts Restripa in the in the um, the place with the Witchbringer. Mm-hmm. And you're like, mm-hmm, here we go. And he's like, no, listen to me. And then all of a sudden, again, it's like that moment where when you're um when, like when you're changing a padlock and all of the tumblers right it was like oh god their hostility and hatred towards her makes sense now we're going to talk a lot more about them later but like the head of her scala he seems so callous and cold and then you discover he's like look like his job sucks and he right. does have a little bit of warmth to her but it is like i make like he he's a light bulb manufacturer mhm he builds disposable things that burn bright and have pretty awful lives. Like one of his quotes that I really liked when he was like, no, I don't think any weapon enjoys its forging, but it enjoys breaking even less. Like that was a great quote from him. Um, and just, I loved that again, nobody was what they seemed except for Erend, right? I mean, obviously because she's our main character, she's the protagonist. We have to get to know her. Um, no, Did but you like her? I was about to say, like, uh, no one's at the scene. Turned out that Colonel was a blank. Did not see that coming. I was like, like, wow. Just, just fact about the two thirds, three quarters mark. I suspected something was off with him. I was like, oh, something here is not like. There's definitely something else going on with him. But yeah, when she talks about when she's standing in front of the Witchbringer and all of a sudden she's like, there's like this black space coming in and the and the demon was scared. And when she's like, oh, it's a bloody blank. And it explained so much about him too, though. Yes. All of a sudden you go back and you're like, oh, no. This yeah. explains some and his whole thing where he's like, no, I'm just releasing it. I didn't see that coming either. I fully thought that he was like, and we'll take over the world. No. No. Nope. He, he didn't care. He's like, I just. No. I like, like, I loved it when he was just like, when he killed that one marsh priest and he was like, I've used you just as much as you've used me. And I'm like, well, how? Then, oh, he's a blank. Okay. 
And it also, and you know, when he talked about he hated being around the marsh priests or the the witches, and you just figured like, well, nobody likes being around them. Well, that makes even more sense. Right. Well, and we have a lot, I have a lot to unpack with him too, but let's start with Erin. Did you, did you like her as a character? Did you like her in this, not necessarily a leader, but in a leadership kind of role? I did like her. I felt bad for her. Hard not to. And it's mainly because like, I, I kind of know what it's like. I think most people do know what it's like to have to leave a tight group. And then you come back and you have all these expectations and none of them are what you seemed, you know? Um, It's what's that phrase? You can never go home. Yeah. And that, and I loved when Corwin opened up to her and Corwin was basically like, yeah, I'm angry for a variety of reasons, but not what you're thinking. And I loved that too. I loved when he revealed like because that tells you so much about her person too right especially as a captain when he's like we knew what you were we're not stupid like when you can predict every ambush that nobody else could have predicted but it kept them alive Mm -hmm. and that's how much she meant to them it was just a surprisingly it made me very sad for her like you had this life where people respected you and speak people but had she not become a sanctioned psyker what's her future hold eventually she touches the wrong thing right i mean who knows right that's like one thing i put in my notes was that there was like a lot of prejudice going around because she was instantly prejudiced against restrippa because she remembered she remembered him as this upstart corporal who was like not good at anything now he's major Mm-hmm. he's prejudiced against her because, well, she's a witch and he didn't like her when she was in charge. So he's automatically putting that stuff. And then you have the confessor who is just, well, kind of an asshole. I kind of wanted him talk to about be, both of them because there's a lot wanted, to talk about. There. I kind of wanted him to be the big bad because he was such a jerk. It would have been too simple for him to be it, but you know, and some of those, those prejudices, you know, went horribly wrong because she she thought one thing, she is making the assumption that Restrepo was behind this whole thing, that he's the one who, you know, killed her mentor, and then the confessor had a hand in it, and their assumptions were like, no, we had nothing to do with that. We actually saved all these people, and he saved all these people because of what, what he did, but we couldn't trust you because of what you were. It's like, it kind of made me want to take all three of their heads and smash them together. Yeah, because like, when well, because when the confessor's like, well, we, he's like, we thought you, like, we weren't sure you weren't going to do something stupid like this. I'm like, look, jerk, she did something stupid because you didn't tell her. She didn't have all the information. And when she didn't have all the information, she went looking for the information. Right. Because, because she is intelligent. Mm-hmm. And because, And yeah, like that was the one thing I wanted to grab him. So let's talk about them in general. Like I loved the concept. First off, I love the concept that Restrepo was, he was kind of a douche, but he wasn't a bad guy. Mm -hmm. He's just one of those guys. And we all, we've all worked with people like that, right? We've all worked with people who have huge egos, maybe undeserved. 
Um, like, we've known those people. It doesn't make them evil. No. Nope. Doesn't make him part of this overarching plot. And when he reveals it, he's like, yeah, your mentor asked me to kill him. Calypso begged me to do it because he knew what he was. Like, And then you have Libertinum, who I was... I'm going to be honest, I would not have enjoyed this book had he turned out to be the big bad. Like, if he would have been like, and I've been controlling it the whole time. Um, would not have enjoyed that. No, I, like, but like I said, I you're right to be because he's such a jerk, but I'm glad that he wasn't. But I was happy that he was the one who killed that girl that made the colonel turn. Well, but again, that goes back to the gray thing, right? Right. Is he all good? No. No, just like with the um, like the whole concept of the hound from the Scala Master, I was like, that's mm -hmm. messed up. That's what I was saying earlier. Like that, 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 that's not right. That's not right. Um, and then same thing with this guy. Like he, it, but again, executed a small girl who was showing off because she didn't understand her psycho powers, right? But like, it's so dangerous, especially on this planet, right? Like. You can understand everyone's motivations, good, bad, and different. Like, you made a bad decision. Um, I, I had a lot of mixed feelings about him, but in the end, especially when he saves her to kill mm -hmm. that, um, yeah, like, again, not a, <laughs> just because you're a bad guy doesn't mean you're a bad guy. Right. Um, yeah, not a bad dude. I, but he, I villain. got very frustrated. He's a bad person, but he's not a villain. Correct. And I did, I, I was with you on that. Like, I wanted to just grab him and be like, okay, you don't want her to do something stupid. So you acted in the most hostile and, but again, and this is one of those like double-edged sorts. ways. Right. Like you guys were clearly conspiring something. Like you could have. Like, you might as well have just put, like, a sign on the back, on your back, and been like, ask me about my conspiracy. <laughs> um, but, again, here's the thing where I go back and forth, because I was like, God, of course she was going to do this. You just get... But wait a minute. Had you told her what had happened, would she then go the other way and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I think I have a plan of how I can solve this, though. You don't know because Restrepo remembered her as kind of being this cocksure, devil-may-care kind of captain. So this idea that, like, yeah, no, if we tell her what's going on, she's charging straight in there. It, oh, it, it's definitely one of those, like, you can see both sides of the argument of not knowing. However, since we did see how it played out. Right. I still could y'all have maybe just been a smidgen subtler? I think but Restrepo, you could tell... There was moments where he, like, you could tell he wanted to kind of come clean and wanted to talk. And then she was kind of the jerk because mm -hmm. she's like, I'm going to go probe his mind. You know, that was stupid. The confessor, though, I got nothing on him. He just, he just had his prejudices and he was like, nope, I hate them all. And I'm not going to yep. tell her because she's obviously too stupid to do any, you know, to know any better because she's a witch and. You know, suffer not the witch to live and blah, 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 blah. Right. It's it's always one of the great conundrums of the 40K universe is that, again, for understandable reasons, they demonize anyone who can utilize the warp. But, like, the Imperium doesn't run without people who can utilize the warp. Like, without navigators, 
You're not going anywhere. You're going to be like the Tau, traveling through real space. Or, uh, you know, Emperor can't. There's no Astronomicon. Right, there's no Astronomicon, which, you know, if you don't have it, or astropaths, are, are you going to send a carrier pigeon through space <laughs> to get messages through? Like smoke signals? What are we doing here? The Aldous lamp is the correct answer. Smoke signals, uh, you say? And <laughs> <laughs> just as it hit the vacuum of the void. Crap. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, maybe after the planet is just completely taken over and it's like the smoke signal coming <laughs> off from, that's a charred planet. I think they're in trouble. The beacons have been lit. You know, Gondor the- probably needed aid, but it's too late now. By the time we got the message. <laughs> well, you know, and because, you know, a lot of them, they don't know about the space marines. They think space marines are a myth half the time. So they don't know that they, you know, utilize the librarius either. But again, like... There, nobody knows about the Grey stuff? Knights that are all psychers because they kill everybody. Right. They have a uh, they have a zero tolerance policy on that. <laughs> yes, they um, do. But they but just again, don't weld them like, into their apartments. They just murder them all. Right. And that's what kind of was really funny about this book. Like, funny and not funny. It's like the idea that, well, we killed the demons, so uh, their well, chief export just dropped precipitously. I guess we don't care about this planet really anymore. Of course, you know, the thing is when they realized what the Witchbringer was, and they're like, that's why they built the structures like this, because... I was like, man, you know, that is such an Imperium thing to do. You know, I was like, this is a bad thing here, but we get good things out of it. So a key resource that we need. Yeah, it's like hate. Like I, you know, started uh, a little while ago, I decided to replay the Space Marine game. And it's kind of fun replaying it now, now that I actually know about this universe, because things make a little more sense to me. Like the very beginning, it's like there's a planet under orc invasion and they're like, basically, they just said it's a little more, you know, diplomatically than I am. But it was basically like, why should we bother saving this planet? Ah, crap. They have a Titan factory there. Well, okay. We'll send in. We'll send in people. It's useful. Yeah. Otherwise, if there was nothing that they needed, that, well, sorry. Like, this planet, I mean, look, you, now that your number one resource is going to drop down, because he, remember, they talked in the beginning how he's like, look, per capita, mm-hmm. this planet makes the most psychers. And so it's basically like the Emperor's private stash of Twinkies, and you can't take that from him. And now that we have... Now they're going to get like one Twinkie, like every million births. I don't know what the ratio is. Sorry. I was not expecting. I did not mean to re- wow, refer to humans as Twinkies. It's a big Twinkie. Burr's private stash of Twinkies. I am why we can't have nice things. I need to point that out. See, now I'm just going to imagine the emperor like underneath his throne. <laughs> He's got the emergency <laughs> under the covers, reading some books. <laughs> right? Ah, uh, every and now why and we then, can't have every now and then he like wiggles the corpse. <laughs> He's still up there. 
cake. I just want the filling. Squish, squish. <laughs> it's appropriate because Twinkies are oily and gross. And he would sort people after they've been on the black ships. That takes a bite and then sucks out all the filling and then eats the cake. Right, exactly. He would be that person who like squeezing it off the bottom. Yep, the, um, <laughs> Twinkie vampire. <laughs> I'm so sorry, you guys. Oh my God. Um, again, uh. why we can't have nice things. Um, but like, and that kind of made me sad too, is I'm like, your sole value as a planet was that you have a demon living here that's basically making psychers. Yeah. Ouch. So I was like, oh, well, guess we'll overlook <laughs> That's it. a rough hand to be dealt. Yeah. Like that was, and then um, I feel like there was another book we read last year that kind of had something similar. There was like bad stuff going on, but because it was like a big export, they ignored it. Hell, I don't even remember now. Could be because I mean, it, it is a common theme, right? Is like, what is your value? Because it. In a universe of untold billions of planets with billions of people, what do you do for us lately? Like, what, what, what do you provide? Like, if you're just, if you're like, oh, yeah, we're just like a really cool planet and sometimes we send you troops and uh, that's about it. Like, that's nice. <laughs> you're very low on the priority list. What um, is it you say this whole you concept... do here? Exactly. Like, well, <laughs> and I, I like the idea that there's some administratum person who is running the numbers on that and what is the value of your planet so like this one just like dropped and it's it's weird because on one hand you saved the planet but you also kind of doomed the planet there's so speaking of the planet i know one of the things we discuss a lot is is the emperor a god yes or no um this Kind of like at first, you know, like so she's using her psychic powers to hold the demon at bay. But I did like when she kind of starts looking and she's like, you know, it seems like the places where they don't have problems is around old imperial churches that haven't been desecate desecrated. Um, and when the priests are like, it's cool, we will pray and keep back the mists. I was like, oh, that's very interesting. And then when she's facing off against the Witchbringer, which we'll talk more about later, when she when she talks about all the spirits coming out and they don't even remember who they are, but they do remember worshipping the Emperor. Mm -hmm. I thought that was beautiful, but I was also like this was pretty much stealing that whole conversation, isn't it? Not that we haven't read a dozen other books that where we've said that exact same thing, but I did like the, just a reminder. There's some power there. Well, you know, not only just, you know, the tarot. Oh, you and I, I, I have, I, and I'm sure you're, you felt the exact same way I did, but I wanted a tarot deck so badly after reading, um, Awakenings and then yeah. now reading this, I was like, I need this. Maybe, maybe not psychically attuned. Well, I mean, we can't do that, but you know, yeah, that'd be bad, but like see-through cards, I think would be really, really Awesome. I would 100% buy with a nice little velvet pouch. Right? Yeah. Everything about this made me just want a, a tarot deck. So please, please make that happen, Games Workshop. Tarot decks are fun. They're yeah, kind of fun. I, I like, I have a couple, not that I use them for divination, but they're, they're like fan 
universe kind of tarot decks. Like I have a Dragon Age Inquisition tarot deck. Mm-hmm. deck. You could actually use it as a tarot deck because it does follow along. This is kind of their cool interpretation of it. Very much so. And like I have the um Oh, what is it called? Like it's the it's the Oh shoot. It's like the beginning one. It's the it's the it's the writer something. It's like the writer smith or something like that deck. I have one of those. I have another one just because I find them fascinating and pretty. I love good mm-hmm. art. I love yeah. the story behind a lot of the cards. Like I just find the whole thing very interesting. And I would love very much love to have it. But if Dragon Age can make a tarot deck. Seriously. It's true. Please do the thing. Even Dishonored had made a tarot deck. Oh, right. Because it also fit into their thing. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a little bit about the Colonel, and I want to talk a little bit more about him. Was he an effective villain, I guess is the right word? Uh, did you like his motivations? Did you like him? I know we already both said that we were both like, oh, shoot, he's a, he's a blunt. So I did like him because... Like any good villain, he was the hero of his story. Yes. Very much so. He wasn't out to take over the world. He wasn't out to get $900 billion. He was just like, you know what? He wasn't out there to make some deal with a god and get infinite power. He didn't want any of that. He didn't want any of that. He just, he got pissed off. The Imperium was like, you know what? I'm done with it. Done with all of it. And he's, I mean, when he's sitting there talking with Aaron at the end, I mean, what he said isn't wrong. No. When he's like, the Emperor, the Imperium will chew you up and spit you out just as quickly as the Dark Gods. And she's like, yeah, but at least I'll be in the light. Exactly. Like we said. And talk about the wrong argument to make with Akkadian. Right. The Akkadians are like, yes. Like, Like, maybe the only worst person would have been the Krieg, maybe. Well, like, I mean, you needed a different argument. And honestly, like, he really had nothing to lose. Because as a blank, like, he's got no afterlife for him anyway. So, no. People. Chaos doesn't f- want him. <laughs> he probably was pretty unpopular in life, too, but didn't ever realize why. Like, I'm sure people around him never really liked him. Except for um, And were sergeant. uncomfortable. That one sergeant. Except for his. But remember him and his sergeant had that bonding over that little girl. Right. But he also right. talked about how he was married and had a child. He did say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he was just very interesting because at first, I, I will be honest, like through the first half of the book, I was like, God, I can't stand any of his chapters. Like, where is this going? I get it. He's mustache twirling. And then about the halfway through in the point of the book where he kind of reveals that he's like, I don't care about the gods. I don't care about the Imperium. Then what's your game, friend? And it's when he shot the younger Psyker who was with him. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) We're not. Like, you need her alive. You want to keep this thing into a vessel. That's not my game. Right. I never agreed to that. Oh, no. And as you said, like, the whole time you're like, God, he really talks mad smack to people who wield the power of the warp. Like he is beyond flippant with these people. And I kept thinking, I'm like, what does he have on them? Like, is it really just that they think that, like, are they going to double cross him? Are they going to do something like that? No, they They can't can't do anything to him. 
No. And early on in the book, um, Aaron had this great, there was that uh, battle with that witch where they were kind of like psychically trying to fight one another. And then she just grabs the combat knife and stabs her. And she's like, yeah, that's the problem with psychers. They think like psychers and they forget that there are weapons, which yeah, I did. you saw that with him. All yeah. these people are like, oh, I guess we can't touch him. I don't know. Pick up a gun. Right. Just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> I've never met a blunter who can dodge bullet. Just saying. You two could have five little friends that all run faster than him. <laughs> Favorite quote from Dust Till Dawn. Um, they, uh, he, I liked that I went from being like, okay, whatever, to intrigued, to actually very interested. And once it basically gets revealed that he's not the witch bringer. Oh, yeah. What is going on? That's pretty much why I ended up staying up till like midnight finishing reading. So I got to that point. I was like, well, I, I can't put it down now. Well, let's let's discuss our titular witch bringer. Um, what what is going on? Um, was it a good plot device? Because, I mean, that is essentially our big bad, right? And the whole lure of this. Did you... Was this a good thing what they've done? Like, should they have just kind of let it sit there? I don't know. What What are your thoughts on this Witchbringers? Well, I mean, I think demons are bad. <laughs> demons are bad, okay. So it definitely needed to go. You're done here. Um, I mean, who's to say that that demon had was in the, the corpse wood trees? Like how much? Yes, he was creating. Well, that was actually psychers. my kind of impression. That was kind of my impression is that he's like this is just an extension of right. his will. Like he oh, yeah. corrupted this entire planet. So, I'm really curious now that he's gone. What is next for the planet? Like, is it going to have this ecological evolution? Maybe by then it become an agrarian world, and then they'll find a use for it again. Who knows, right? Can you imagine? Like, an exterminatus is not what they're going to have to do, but they're, they're more or less going to have to, like, burn the whole planet. Yeah. You can't have thousands upon thousands of corpses sitting in a swamp with carnivorous trees. Or, but do the trees, once the demon's gone, are the trees just like, oh, we're just trees now? Or do they just disintegrate? Yeah, I would think that they would just disintegrate because they were what's pulling the souls to the demon. Like, right. I, in some ways, for the demon, I kind of wanted to be able to explain to this thing, like, had you just been chill, you could have just kept amassing power on this right? planet. You could have just, you know, kept on sucking souls out of people who, like, slipped in the marsh. And eventually you would have just been like a like a unicron type thing where you're just this sentient planet more or less. I understand that unicron is a robot, but anyways, um, work with me here. Uh, if you uh, watch the Michael you Bay movies, earth is actually unicron. Those movies don't exist. So I don't, um, but we're talking about the cinematic masterpiece from like 1987 I featuring know. the 
two parts of Orson Welles and Leonard Nimoy because Welles passed halfway through the filming of the movie. Um, and you can very distinctly tell when Nimoy takes over the voice. Um, but, like, it, you could have been, like, this giant demon planet and you just could have kept going on and, like, maybe luring psychers, have a nice snack yourself. Like, it, essentially... You had your own Twinkies everywhere. You had your own Twinkie supply! <laughs> and you, you just got greedy but maybe that's the nature of demons i don't know like i had very complex feelings when, he, when they killed the demon then because obviously it's a good thing right like okay good awesome cool but i was also kind of like was it worth it to the demon obviously like which bringer was it was it worth it now you gotta start over well, do you know how hard it is to grow all those trees but is it really the demon's fault that there was that cult that decided to like go nuts and have the demon like inhabit something or was it the demon giving them the idea to give them a vessel to inhabit? Because that's pre if that's the case, then the demon was pretty stupid. Because like you said, he had a pretty good gig going on. Yeah, he had a thing going on. It's like the uh, whenever you go back and you learn about like scams and stuff like that. And you're like, all you had to do was not do this. Like like Icarus, you flew too close to the Astronomicon. Um. I don't know, like it, or is it like? Do you imagine like somewhere part of the demon is like, oh my god, with these freaking cults, please stop. I'm fine. I'm actually quite content where I am. Just amassing power. He was. I did think it. He was happy, kind of being the uh, boardwalk comatose guy from from Dogma. Just, yeah, exactly. He's just like I'm just chilling. I'm getting three square uh, meals a day. I'm good. Three hots and a cot. I'm good. They, um, I don't know. And I liked, I liked the concept. I thought the whole concept of it was very fun, but that was the only thing when I got to the end is I was like, huh, I just, is this how you saw this going? Did you, did you really think? I mean, I did, I did love the whole idea of like, dude, like half of your personality is comprised of dead psychers who once were loyal to the emperor so you know the real tre the real treasure was the friends they freed at the end <laughs> something I don't know but what happens next I mean her last line of the book is pretty That's pretty uh, prophetic when, because if you recall, she kind of goes into this coma. She talks about how the warp kind of swallows right. her whole. And then her very last line is, it showed me the way the Imperium breaks. Um, first off, can you even trust anything a demon tells you or shows you? Well, can you trust anything that you see in the warp? There's the other question. But we can right. interpret that in so many and ways, too. Yes. Unless unless it's going to be, like, some larger thing. Like, she's like, the way that the Imperium breaks is by essentially not valuing its psychers, treating them so badly, sending them towards stuff like this without fully understanding it. Like, this is how we break. Or is it just that... Yeah, with that rift open, I all kinds also, of things. Like I also interpreted it as somewhat as a see the Imperium breaks because the Imperium 
as long as they get their omelet, they don't care how many eggs they have to break. Hundred percent. How long is you know with this whole demon there, you know, trapped in the center? Like, how long is like they knew about it, but they were cool with it because resources, yo. Mm-hmm. How long is that going to be able that kind of attitude able to sustain them? And we see that like whenever we have a book on Terra, we see that all the time. They don't care what happens. As long right. as they, as long as they ha- have their result, they don't care how they get there. The end justifies the means. Well, you know what? That's going to break Always. the Ethereum. Yes. This whole concept of whatever it takes, just throw bodies at it. And this whole concept of, and that was the other thing I was thinking about is like with this planet, um, like you have expended thousands upon thousands of soldiers to try to get this planet back in line. Like it, we've, we've talked about this a lot with the Imperium, especially with the break of the rift, like it's death by a thousand cuts. You were just going to spread yourself so so thin and for what like part of me yeah this this essentially this planet was sending feelers out to try to find a vessel for it so it could get off the planet right but like was this really that big of a thing again with the countless battlefields and the countless important planets we already know there's demons out there walking around mm-hmm. like i'm not suggesting that no, you should just let it go but i also kind of maybe am like We'll do the worst thing. We've got Catan shards running around free right now. Yeah. Is that how the Imperium breaks? Um, is it because, like, and that was the other thing I was thinking of, is secrets? I'm like, well, you know. The hmm? Secret's going to break it? <laughs> secret's lack of communication. There's all There's these a, ways that the Imperium could break. <laughs> very loaded phrase. I mean, honestly, it's kind of amazing it's even held together at all. And I think that's, For 10,000 years. And I think that's something that's what Reboot noticed when he woke up. I was like, what the hell did y'all do? Y'all have run this place to the ground. Like, right, I, but... Like, I know things were kind of messed up, you know, before, like... I went to sleep, but, you know, but we were on the way of improving and y'all just kept everything stagnant. Like, yeah, they did. Like, everything is kind of held together with duct tape, spit, and prayers. Pretty much, but that's also kind of one of the, one of the prices they pay for being so large, right? Like, when you don't have the Primarchs. Let's talk about the, you know, the empires we've tried to have here on this planet, right? Right. Why did the Roman Empire fall? Because it was so big. It was so big it couldn't take care of itself. Why did the British Empire fall? Same thing. They said the sun never set on the British Empire. Oh, the Ottoman Empire got too big. Everything implodes in on itself when it gets to be too big because you can't have one small governing body take care of everything across a planet, much less planets. And that's actually, you know, something that, um, you know, uh, universes like Halo will cover. Uh, how they're stretched so thin that the outer colonies don't want anything, to, anything to do with Earth. Um, it's like kind of the same reason why America, why we revolted from British, from from Britain, 
We don't like you guys across the pond telling us what to do and taxing us. It's the same thing like in Halo. The Outer Colony's like, we don't like you coming out here and taking our stuff. We have nothing to do with, with Earth. Same thing here. You guys are just coming in and taking all of our stuff, and for what? So we never right. get to hear from you guys? Except when the stuff's not coming? Like, that's not sustainable. Pretty much. Like, that's, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And, like, I think about just, like, even on, a like, a smaller level, like, when you look at, like, corporate America. Do you ever work for a company that has more than 20,000 employees? <laughs> Oh, yeah. It, like, things move at a snail's pace. Nothing gets done. There's 16 different layers of bureaucracy. But it's just because that's the price of running something this big. And, yeah, all of a sudden you're like, yeah, our management does not care about us. You are employee number 6,432. Period. I think you have a serial number, basically. Right. Um, governments, right? Like, how how bogged down does this all get? Maybe that is. Maybe it's just like, look... We have expanded too much. This isn't we because the emperor's vision for the Imperium had not only him at the helm, right, and the he, Webway Project. Well, that <laughs> would have made it a little bit easier. Emperor, but you also had the Primarchs. You did have the Primarchs, but also, but the Emperor as well. He's such a powerful psyker. He could have held everything together. He probably could have, and it's really. You know, if they're using the webway, which was his goal, right, was that we're going to use the webway to do everything and we don't even have to touch the warp. Um, you don't have the unpredictability of, like, shipments and stuff like that. And it, you know. Uh, thanks, Magnus. It, <laughs> thanks, Magnus. Thanks, Erebus. Um, like, there's so, yeah, exactly that face. Um, there's just, there's so much that that can be interpreted in that phrase. And I think that's one of the reasons that I like it is that she didn't even have to have like a specific vision, right? Of like, oh, and this is how we're going to kill the emperor. Um, Just, yeah. Like I have seen where our problems are. Oh, the emperor. And laid them bare. The death of the emperor is not what's going to break the imperium. No. Again, they are spread too thin. By a lot. And this was an interesting book because one of the things I like about the um one of the things I like about the Astra Militarum books is that you really do get to see what it's like to be one of those untold billions, right? Who are also serving in the Emperor's in the Imperial Guard. Mm -hmm. And but this book, the characters I felt like had more agency. Then, like, cause some of the other books that I don't, maybe agency is not the right word, but like some of the books that we've read, like a Steel Tread is a good example. Huge, big, bad, huge plan. Not her, not her place to know about it. She's just here to fight. Like that's it. She didn't get to hear his speech, his motivations, blah 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 blah. This was a really nice of having humans. You see how expendable they are. You see how delicate they are. But she is directly involved with whatever the big bad thing is here. They do have control over that and understanding of it. And um, I just really liked the overall tone, the style, the characters. I thought this was a really good way to start off a new year. Oh, yeah. Probably, like you said, I think about chapter three or four or so. Like, whenever she gets to the planet, I was like, oh, I'm in for a horror story. This is going to be fun. And it was an environmental horror story, which I prefer those over anything. It's one 
reasons why I have such a soft spot for the video game Bioshock is that it was such an environmental horror story more than anything else. So, yeah, I mean, really enjoyed it. Had a lot of fun. I look forward to more from this guy. Turns Same. He's, um, a, he's a doctor. Is he? Yeah. Please. Yeah, he's a physician. Damn, good for him. Resident physician living in the U.S. Pacific Northwest. Oh, then I, I say again, good for him. He, um, yeah. So one of the things you touched on something in here that I really, that I really liked with this book is that, so my favorite horror novels are haunted house stories because good, effective haunted house stories the house is as much of a character as everybody else, right? So let's go back to The Shining. Huh. The Overlook Hotel is, is it... arguably the main protagonist slash, or antagonist slash main secondary main character. Um, this book, The Planet, was a character. It was the main antagonist. So that's actually so one reason why I finally played Bioshock. Was I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about how it's such a great horror game. And of course, I'm just like, I want nothing to do with this. Because when I think horror, generally first thing I think about is jump scares. But they were talking about how the underwater city rapture, like, it was the biggest villain of the entire game. And I was like, oh, see, now I'm interested. When you say that the place mm -hmm. is like a character, a villain, is part of the horror I'm in for that much more than like a monster or uh, I don't know, pick a Stephen King novel where someone's possessed, you know, something like that. Right. Right. And like, that's, so that's one of the reasons that I love the first dead space game so much is that the USG Ishimura is every bit of character as much as rapture is like the environment, everything else about it is almost personified. Um, I love stuff like that. So I'm with you. Like about the time, I think it was the first chapter where she's walking through the for the uh, swampy forest with that young adjutant who's trying to take her to see to hook up with Vice. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh yes, this is going to be great. Just very atmospheric, very unnerving. It hit so many of my personal, again, just my personal. No, I don't like that at all. Uh, the only thing it was missing was spiders. Um, then it would have just like check 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 check. No thanks. Mm -hmm. No, it did not need spiders. It really didn't. Um, but it was a really great way to like we're in the cold, like the dredges of winter, and here you go, have a good horror story. Thank you, sir. I will take another. But we're not getting another. Ex oh, we're not getting another because we're actually digging back into the wayback machine. Not once, not in one way, but two ways. Because we are going to read Chris Raitt's War of the Fang, which I almost dropped because this book is way heavier than it looks. Yes, yeah, very heavy. Um, <laughs> but very I, pretty. Very oh, God, pretty. it's so pretty. Um, so Battle of the Fang, I think, published back like in 2016. And this actually takes place in M32. 2015, because so I filled out the book in our library today. The original is like May something 2015 when it originally came nice. out. But yes, it is M32, so it's not quite the Horus Heresy. But it's part of that old uh, Space Marine Battles series that 
was pretty much dominated Warhammer 40k literature for the longest time. It did for a really long time. And that's what makes me really excited about this. Because first off, I feel as though just as part and parcel of this podcast, because ever since the rift opened and Cadia was destroyed, there really hasn't been a lot of point to go back in history, right, for the for the 40k universe. And so that's kind of exciting because I'd like to go back and see some of this important stuff that happened, right? Um, and I think it'll be a nice pace. Yep. Well, a little bit of a nice change. Well, and also just Well, we probably would have picked this if Black Library hadn't decided to make a limited edition. So it's like everything is all just new again. Edition. So like we're going to have the same thing yeah. with the uh, Cadian Blood, which is actually older than this, published in 2009. Yeah, that one's like... Cause... 2009. So I had this moment where I was looking at Cadian Blood and I was like, oh, I read this book when it came out. And I sat there and I was like... And I don't remember a thing about it. That's how long ago I read that. I don't even remember it. Like, I remember, like, oh, yeah, I, like, remember, like, the, the top notes of it. But it's going to be like reading a new book for me. Or actually, I have a feeling as we're reading it, I'll be like, oh, right, this. Or maybe not. It's 2009. My daughter was two. Oh, I don't know. I can't go back. Yes. <laughs> yes. Think I, we both had toddlers. Yes. Mm -hmm. We did. That's how long ago that was. Wow. Okay. For those curious, mine's mine can now drive. Well. Well, with an adult in the car. Yeah, with her. And a permit. She's got a permit. Yeah, but still, that's a thing. Um. So this that's kind of exciting. We're also going to have a new book coming in between those two, and I think if um just from like their preview for what's coming out this year i think we're gonna have like a really exciting year i hope so like i mean this year was yeah. pretty this oh, sorry this year 2022 was pretty great so it was looking forward to it really was i actually still because i've i've been really lazy and haven't cleaned my computer room at all i tried to blur my background but carrie told me i couldn't um i have bad, all of the books <laughs> it looks it did so look bad. bad we have um, enough we have enough video issues as it is <laughs> without the weird anyway that's fair Mm -mm. It looks like a really bad Instagram Photoshop job. Yes, it like, does. yeah. Like, look how clean my room is. Like you took your finger to do the smudge tool. Exactly that. Um, but I have all of the books for it. And I, I just kept, I was like sitting here, like, as I was typing up some stuff. And I was just like, oh man, last year was good. Like, this year has stiff competition. I'm really excited to see what it brings. And so we'll start, we started with a great horror story and let's. Let's dive back and see some, some thousand suns and space wolves. We can have a good old-fashioned debate who well, the true villains are. And I like the way Chris Rate writes the space wolves. So Me too. But this is also going to be older Chris Rate, so it should be fun for a variety of reasons. Oh, yeah. And not just because, God, this thing is so heavy. Every time I go to pick it up, I'm like, oh, right, it weighs 10 pounds. The funny it thing is, is, just is that I beautiful. have the paperback copy back there. And it's like not nearly as thick or heavy. This book is thick with two C's. Um, we have the original book as well. And I'm pretty sure my husband read it. I don't think I did. I wasn't as into the Space Marine Battles books as he was. Um, so yeah, very excited for this one. 
Do you want to take us out, Carrie? I sure will. So, yay, 2023. Happy New Year, everybody. We didn't say that at the beginning, but yes, happy New Year. Uh, So you've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Witchbringer by Stephen B. Fisher. So be sure to join us next time for War of the Fang. Yes, be envious of our copies by Chris Rate. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crag. Good night, everybody. I am still all farious, even in the new year. Um, get you a book that matches the weather. Frosty. Maybe it matches your weather. Oh my god, you guys, it like hasn't stopped snowing for like two weeks now. Which technically is the Colorado that I grew up in. Anyways, not important. Stay warm. It was 80 degrees yesterday. expletive too hot you and maybe an insult against your mother because it was like 20 here it's uh, it's honestly too hot too hot let's split the difference well today it's down to 40 so is that better yes 40 look 40 is the perfect temperature for winter it actually that is like my happy spot i will even agree with that because you still need pants and boots and you can still get away with a hoodie or even a, a, a jacket. Like if the wind chill gets bad, you can just put on a jacket. Like I can even go walk around the lake. And it's actually a perfect weather for that. Because when I get sweaty, it's not that big of a deal. I love it. I'm with you. I am completely with you on that. And that's been Weather Talk with Jen and Carrie. Now, back to the news. <laughs> Good night, Good night everyone. <laughs>